spring is coming, and that means warmer weather, uh, which also means the parasites are coming. We talk fleas, ticks, and heartworms with our very own doctor, Marta Andelson, all that and more on this episode of Pet Resource Radio. From the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, I'm Dave Shapiro. And I'm Sierra Howe, and welcome to the program. We're coming to you from the room we call the fishbowl here at Pet Resource Center of Kansas City. It's actually a pretty fancy fishbowl now. We have a a pretty good computer in here so we can whip up some nice videos for you all. But (laughs) we're a nonprofit organization that's keeping pets and people together through supportive services for folks who are in in need. And the folks that are in need are going to be out in Lee's Summit March 13th from 9 a.m. to noon. Uh, what we've got is a, an off-site vaccination clinic drive-through, no appointment necessary, um, $35 full set for dogs, $25 full set of vaccinations for cats. That's six months and older in both cases. Puppies and kittens, if you're wondering about those, just $10 for you know DA2PP or FVRCP, whichever it is that they need, and a dewormer. Um, that's a pretty good deal, I would say. And yeah. uh, we haven't been out to Lee's Summit before for something like this, so we're very excited about it. Yep, first time. And then what was I going to say? Oh, with the weather being so nice, honestly, you guys should get out and come see us. And if you need a little extra motivator, um, we did see our first Parvo puppy a couple weeks ago. So the weather's warming up. More people are getting outside and socializing with their pets, which means more pets are going to cross paths. And it only takes one who's not vaccinated, who has the virus, to pass it on to your puppy or your adult dog even and i mean 10 bucks versus paying several hundred bucks yeah for parvo treatment um we really can't say more about it because it's just we really want you to vaccinate your pets so they stay safe but also you guys can stay together yeah absolutely keep everybody safe that's what i say uh why don't we head over and do some pet news all righty First up, researchers at the University of Buffalo have confirmed that a bone fragment dates to about 10,150 years ago and represents the oldest confirmed remains of a domestic dog in the Americas. The fragment was discovered along the coast in southeastern Alaska and was originally thought to be the remains of a bear. But after studying its mitochondrial genome, they were able to determine that it came from a dog whose ancestors split off from Siberian dogs as early as 16,700 years ago. What does this mean? Well, all the evidence points to the theory that a migration of humans to the Americas happened during the last ice age. And this new discovery goes right along with that since we only find evidence of domesticated dogs where humans have been. This is neat. I think this is It is. Neat. And it's not normally down my alley, but this is actually pretty intriguing. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating that they're like, well, you don't really find domesticated dogs unless you, you know, unless they somewhere where humans have been. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's pretty fascinating that, you know, number one, this theory that humans crossed over during the last ice age, um, I think is pretty neat because, you know, it shows what kind of land bridge there used to be up in Alaska from Alaska to Russia up in that area. Um, but it's also just fascinating that, uh, they, we were like, these animals are so important to us and so vital to us that we're going to take them with us on this long trek. Yeah. And it really just hit me that, wow, like dogs have been in our lives for, thousands and thousands literally and thousands and i mean and thousands of years granted back then they probably had different um what's the word 
not uses. Yeah. But like, you know, they were hunters. Yeah, or they, they were definitely more like utility Versus animals. more companion animals, yeah. you know? Yeah, definitely. Sorry, I can't talk, y'all. I have baby brains, so <laughs> just go with it. <laughs> story of my life. Okay, um, but Dave has another story for you all. Yep. So now uh, another microchip success story, kind of. Uh, sort of. We'll see what you think when you hear about it. See, Charles adopted Brandy back in 2005 when she was a two-month-old kitten, but she disappeared only a few months after he first got her. She went outside in the afternoon, and when he came back to get her, she was gone. No luck at shelters, no luck with putting up signs to try and find her. He was sure she'd been gotten by a coyote or hit by a car or any number of things can happen to outdoor cats. So fast forward to 15 years later, Charles gets a call from the L.A. County Animal Shelter and then another call from the microchip company that he registers Brandy's chip with. Yep, they had her. She was severely underweight and actually had her nails, had her claws had grown over around to the bottom side of her paws. Um, and she was significantly older, obviously, but she still purred when he held her. And Charles broke down because, of course, he was relieved, but also he was thinking about all the years they don't get to spend together. Nobody knows what happened to her. She could have been picked up by another family that didn't scan her. Um, could have been any number of things, but we don't really know. Um the article that this came from really tried to frame this as like a happy heartwarming story, yeah. but really it's, it's kind of a worst case scenario. Um, you know, he did what he was supposed mm-hmm. to do and microchipped his pet and that didn't really work out for him. Um, I mean, in the end it did, but you know how much time was lost. Um, what if another family picked up the cat, they never took the cat to the vet, um, which in, in and of itself is not great. Um, because the first yeah. thing a vet or a shelter or anybody would do is and scan it, it. Even worse, if she was out there all by herself, that makes me so sad. Yeah, and she was found not that <clears throat> far from where he lived. So it's, it's like she would have been in the area the whole time. Yeah, 15 years, it's a lifetime. It's like two-thirds of the time I've been alive. And, so Yeah, and the other thing is um, indoor cats. Yeah. <laughs> Please, indoor cats. Outdoor cats live... Mm-hmm. such shorter lives uh, compared to indoor cats. It's just, it's heartbreaking, honestly. Yeah. My cat Marley, I mean, he goes outside, but he's always on his little cat harness. So there are ways for your cat to go safely outside if they yep. do enjoy it. Um, but it's like yeah. kids unsupervised. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Especially a kitten that young with nobody looking after him. And before we go to the interview, the word I was thinking of earlier was purposes. Purposes. Yeah. Hey. Okay. I just wanted to put that out there so y'all don't <laughs> judge me. Uh, this is a non-judgmental place. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's go to the interview. Parasites are a year-round problem, but the spring always brings with it the increased risk of your pet encountering one or more of these pests. So we brought our own Dr. Marta Andelson on this show this week to talk to us about them. Welcome to Pet Resource Radio, Dr. Andelson. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So let's start with fleas. Obviously, you know, your pet itching and scratching is a sign that there might be fleas afoot, but what are some other signs? Yeah, itching and scratching is the number one complaint we get when pets have fleas, but there are other things to look out for. Um, One thing that we do in the clinic is look for evidence of what we call flea dirt. It's going to look like little brown specks, and it's actually just the excrement of the fleas. Um, A good way to differentiate that from actual dirt is to take a little sample, put it on a paper towel, and get the paper towel wet. If you see pink or red color, then you know that's dried blood and you can confirm 
definitely do have fleas. Another sign that fleas might be causing problems is hair loss, especially around the base of the tail and the backs of the legs. Um, We often get dogs that just have patches missing there. And then my first question is always, is your pet your, is your pet on prevention? Um, and then one other thing to remember is that it only takes one flea, if the animal is allergic to fleas, to have crazy amounts of itching. So a lot of times people will say, well, my dog's itching, but I haven't seen any fleas. And then I ask, is, are they on prevention? The answer is no. So it's pretty hard to see just one flea. So right. keep that in mind too, as you think about what it could be. Well, you know, what are some of the biggest health issues that can result from an unchecked flea problem on your pet? I would say the top health issue that we have is a skin infection due to the crazy amounts of itching. Mm-hmm. Um, if they itch so much that they break that skin barrier open, then bacteria get in there and we see skin infections. Um, another big thing that we see are infectious diseases, mostly tapeworms. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that tapeworms are just acquired by eating poop, but that's actually not how they get transmitted. They get transmitted through fleas. So if you have tapeworms, you have fleas, and uh, there are other less common diseases that fleas can carry, Um, especially an issue in small animal, small dogs, small cats, puppies, kittens, is anemia. If they have an overwhelming number of fleas, Mm. then the red blood cell count can actually go down because of how much the fleas are drinking. Now, anyone who's had fleas before knows that a big part of having a flea infestation is the fallout in your house. Uh, What's the best way to handle a flea infestation? Number one thing to remember is patience. You're not going to get rid of everything in one go. If you have one animal with fleas, the likelihood that all of your pets have them is high. So step one, make sure every pet is on prevention so they don't keep reproducing on the animals. Um, Another good thing to do with the pets is bathing them once a week, Mm -hmm. um, combing them out, and uh, just making sure that you're applying the prevention correctly. As far as taking care of your house, vacuuming should be done daily for at least three months. Unfortunately, fleas can last up to 200 days in their dormant stage in your house. So you really need to work hard for a long time to get them out of carpet because that's their favorite place. When you vacuum, make sure that you're discarding the bag right away because if you just let it hang out, then they can hatch in the bag and and crawl out. Um, There are various cleaning products available, including diatomaceous earth um, powders that you put in your carpet to try to catch them all as you vacuum. But just remember that once they're there, they're extremely hard to get rid of. So make sure that you're vigilant and treat the issue for at least three months. Now, with ticks, people really tend to think that there's no issue during the winter or if your pet is indoor only, but that's not really the case, is it? No, unfortunately, it's not. Um, As we've seen, our winters have started to get a little warmer and the ground temperature needs to be only 45 degrees for more than 24 hours for ticks to come out. The ground temperature and the air temperature are vastly different. And we have ground temperatures of at least 45 for most of the winter here in Missouri. Another important thing to remember is that these species can survive over a year without feeding. So um, just because we've had a winter and it's cold does not mean that it's killed everything off. They can go dormant and um, 
they just wait for the first opportunity when it's warm enough and they sense movement to attach themselves. And what are some of the biggest dangers when it comes to ticks? One of the most common things that we find with tick-borne diseases is Lyme disease. And there are a few other ones that we can check for on basic diagnostics, one called anaplasmosis and ehrlichia. They don't always cause signs in animals, especially in dogs, but they can. And usually when they get sick, they have um, a fever that is of unknown origin until we do the tick test. Um, they can be really lethargic, can lose a lot of weight. So the the most common disease that I see here is Ehrlichia, but we certainly have a lot of Lyme disease, and that can be transmitted to you too. So mm. keep in mind, if your pet has ticks and you get a tick from your animal, then you could also be prone to getting these diseases. Right. Less common but still possible is something called tick paralysis. Um, most ticks carry a neurotoxin, which leads to the dog not being able to move at all. Um, there is a treatment for it, but it comes on really suddenly. Um, you basically just need to remove the tick, and then pretty soon they'll be able to walk again. But it can be pretty scary to see. And then like with fleas, ticks can also cause anemia if there are severe numbers on an animal. Now, speaking of removing a tick, what is the best way to remove a tick if you find one on your pet? I'll go first through the do nots because there are a lot of urban legends about how to get rid of ticks. Right. Do not let a match and try to burn it off to get it to fall off. It's not going to fall off the way you want it to. Don't try to grab just the end of it and pull because it's going to leave its little mouth parts in there. Um, other things, Vaseline, don't, don't try that. Don't try gasoline or kerosene. I've oh, seen gosh. that too. Oh, no. So <laughs> the, the most important thing to do is to gently twist at the base. So where the tick is attached to the skin, they have these little saw-like mouth parts that get stuck in the skin. That's how they stay in. So you want to gently twist at the base with a pair of tweezers or they make these um, tick-specific removers. They're super cheap. You can get them at pet stores. They're usually green, and they have the right amount of pressure to pull out those mouth parts. Um, if a mouth part stays in, you can run infection, certainly get rashes, things like you would see with uh, Lyme disease, for example. Since we're hitting the trifecta of parasites here, let's jump on over to heartworm. Heartworm disease is spread by mosquitoes, yes? It is. Um, the larvae develop inside a mosquito, and when they bite a dog or a cat, the, uh, a certain life stage of these larvae migrate out of the mosquito into the bloodstream mm. when the mosquito is biting. At that point, the larvae develop for two to three months, and they migrate until they reach the pulmonary arteries associated with the heart and then adults grow another five months before they produce their own larvae. So we're basically talking about six to seven months before you have adult heartworms producing and spreading these larvae throughout the body. And treatment for heartworm is very intensive. Intensive and expensive, it can be. Um, you're, you're looking at a minimum of three months of heavy therapy. The therapy includes antibiotics, heartworm prevention, steroids, and three injections of a really, really powerful drug that is used to kill the adults because, unfortunately, heartworm prevention only gets the larval stage. So once you have adults in there, you need this drug to kill them. Um, oftentimes, treatment is over $1,000, especially in a, a large dog. It's mm -hmm. all by weight. And the treatment can be sometimes life-threatening if the 
the heartworms have been in there for a long time. So really, really important to avoid this because it's not something anybody wants to have to go through. Right. And that's what I was going to say. Even then, you've got lasting damage to the organs. So it sounds like prevention is really the only way to go. Yeah, absolutely. We get a lot of people saying, oh, we don't we don't need it because we don't have mosquitoes in the winter. But this is a six-month process. Mm-hmm. And we have warm months for a lot longer than six months. So it really, really behooves everyone to spend the $20 it is a month to cover the heartworm prevention mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at a thousand plus dollar bill when you treat. Exactly. Um, since we're talking prevention, can we talk a bit about prescription versus over the counter? Yeah, unfortunately, um, the over the counter products have started to cause resistance mm. in um, preventing heartworm disease, fleas and ticks. Uh, They have been widely used for a really long time, and so those products are not as effective at killing everything that needs to be killed. The the reason prescription products came about was because we started to see this um, resistance about, I don't know, two decades ago. So it's been going on for a while. Um, The important thing to remember about prescription is it has a much higher likelihood of actually doing what you want it to. If you're using a product that some of these fleas or heartworms are resistant to, you're just going to kill off the weak ones. And then all you're left with is a massive amount of really resistant parasites. So do reach out to your veterinarian, reach out to us, make sure that we get you hooked up with the prescription products because we want everything to be as effective as possible. We do not want you guys left over with a flea issue because the over-the-counter product you use did not kill them all. Yeah, that would be honestly heartbreaking to spend money on that stuff and then to have it really not work and you end up in the situation you were trying to avoid in the first place. It is, and I I totally understand why people go for over-the-counter products. You don't have to go to a clinic It's usually cheaper, but it's, again, like that heartworm prevention discussion. Pay more now so you don't have to pay way too much later trying to solve a problem that could have been avoided. Exactly. Uh, Dr. Anderson, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate you being here. And literally, we took you away from surgery, so we'll let you get back to that. No problem, guys. My pleasure. One of the things we hear a lot from folks, no matter how awesome we are at handling and working with their pets, is that their pets don't really like to come and see us. I mean, it's sad, but we get it. It's a strange place where weird stuff happens. And so today we thought we'd take a look at a few quick tips to make a vet visit a little less stressful for your dog or cat. Number one is to keep an eye on your own emotions. You know, our pets pick up emotional cues from us. So if you're stressed, they're more likely to be stressed. And number two is handling. Getting a pet used to having their feet and their mouth handled gets them ready for whatever the vet needs to do. Just taking that little extra time every day to acclimate them to the idea of handling can be enough, which also, personally, I'm going to throw in there that I did this with my cat Marley, so it'd be a lot easier to cut his nails. But same goes for coming to the vet. Yeah, it's the same basic principle. You just want to get them used to that. Um, For... uh Number three, for cats, you want to make the carrier something that's used for more than just vet visits. And this is actually really important. We do this at our house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Feed them in the carrier, put familiar objects in it so they get used to being in there. A trip to the vet becomes less stressful when you're in a safe carrier. 
Yeah, these are all literally life hacks. I feel like I wrote a blog about these. <laughs> but number four, for dogs, training can actually make a huge difference. If, we, if a vet can tell your dog to stand, sit, or move, they're less likely to have to be moved around or pushed into something that makes them nervous or that they don't want to do. Yep. And number five, lastly, get them used to the car. If the only trips you ever take are to the vet, the car becomes a stressful place for them because they know it's coming. So use treats and toys to make the car a welcoming place for them. Take them on rides. My dogs will not get out of the car. <laughs> Which I'm grateful for because I know some folks have the pets who get really car sick or see the car and they're like, nope, going back inside. So, But they love it. <laughs> And now we say goodbye to you, friends. Big thanks again to Dr. Marta Andelson for being on our show today. As always, if you need help with parasite prevention for your pets, feel free to give us a call at 816-353-0940. As for us, we're a nonprofit just making our way through a world full of pets and people that need to be kept together, and you can help us make it happen. Just head over to prckc.org to donate, volunteer, look at our wish list, and more. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcasting app, be sure to rate us and leave us a review. That always helps new people find us. And go ahead and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at PRR Podcast. So until next time, tail wags and purrs to you and yours. And as the author Tom Jones said, dogs have a way of finding the people who need them and filling the emptiness we did never know we had. Take care. Pet Resource Radio is a production of the Pet Resource Center of Kansas City, hosted by Sierra Howe and myself, David Shapiro, produced and written by Sierra Howe and David Shapiro, recorded and edited and mixed by David Shapiro, music by Hazel Raw Musical Industries, a.k.a. me. More info at soundcloud.com slash Hazel Raw Musical Industries. <laughs>